Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but have been a photographer for over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week we explore one of the cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. Now, for those of you who follow my podcast and for my local station, I am approaching a deadline for my new book. And so today, I will be reading an essay from Billy Graham entitled, How to Be Thankful in All Things. Are you thankful no matter what? Look at the story of man who had every right to be bitter, a man who could have been bitter but wasn't. The next footsteps in the corridor he knew might be those of the guards taking him away to his execution. His only bed was the hard, cold stone floor of the dank, cramped prison cell. Not an hour passed when he was free from the constant irritation of the chains and the pain of iron manacles cutting into his wrists and legs. Separated from friends, unjustly accused, brutally treated, if ever a person had a right to complain, it was this man, languishing, almost forgotten in a harsh Roman prison. But instead of complaints, his lips rang with words of praise and thanksgiving. This man was the Apostle Paul, a man who had learned the meaning of true thanksgiving, even in the midst of great adversity. Earlier, when he had been imprisoned in Rome, Paul wrote, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. Think of it, always giving thanks for everything, no matter the circumstances. Thanksgiving for the Apostle Paul was not a once-a-year celebration, but a daily reality that changed his life and made him a joyful person in every situation. Thanksgiving, the giving of thanks, to God for all his blessings should be one of the most distinctive marks of the believer in Christ. We must not allow a spirit of ingratitude to harden our heart and chill our relationship with God and with others. Nothing turns us into bitter, selfish, dissatisfied people, and nothing more quickly than an ungrateful heart. And nothing will do more to restore contentment and the joy of our salvation than a true spirit of thankfulness. In the ancient world, leprosy was a terrible disease. It hopelessly disfigured those who had it, and it permanently cut them off from normal society. Without exception, every leper 
yearned for one thing, to be healed. One day, ten lepers approached Jesus outside a village, loudly pleading with him to heal them. In an instant, he restored them all to perfect health, but only one came back and thanked him. All the rest left without a word of thanks, their minds preoccupied only with themselves, gripped with the spirit of ingratitude. Today, too, ingratitude and thankfulness are far too common. Children forget to thank their parents for all they do. Common courtesy is scorned. We take for granted the ways that others help us. Above all, we fail to thank God for his blessings. Ingratitude is a sin, just as surely as lying or stealing or immorality or other sin condemned by the Bible. One of the Bible's indictments against rebellious humanity is that although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Romans one twenty one. An ungrateful heart is a heart that is cold toward God and indifferent to his mercy and love. It is a heart that has forgotten how dependent we are on God for everything. From one end of the Bible to the other, we are commended to be thankful. In fact, thankfulness is the natural overflowing of a heart that is attuned to God. The psalmist declared, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Psalms 147.7 Paul wrote, Be thankful. Colossians 3.15 A spirit of thankfulness is always the mark of a joyous Christian. Why should we be thankful? Because God has blessed us and we should be thankful for each blessing. We seem to never be satisfied with what we have, rich or poor, healthy or sick. But what a difference it makes when we realize that everything we have has been given to us by God. King David prayed, Wealth and honor come from you. We give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Everything comes from you. Chronicles 29 12 to 14. Some years ago, I visited a man who was wealthy and successful. He was the envy of all his friends and business associates. But as we talked, he broke down in tears, confessing that he was miserable inside. Wealth had not been able to fill that empty place in his heart. A few hours later, I visited a man only a short distance away. His cottage was humble, and he had almost nothing in the way of world's possessions. And yet his face was radiant as he told me about the work he was doing for Christ and how Christ had filled his life with meaning and purpose. I am convinced that the second man was really the rich man, although he didn't have much. He had learned to be thankful for everything that God had given him. Paul declared, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Philippians 4.12 A spirit of thankfulness makes all the difference. Are you constantly preoccupied with what you do not have? Or have you learned to thank God for what you do have? Thank God for people in your life. It is so easy to take people for granted or even to complain and become angry because they do not meet our every wish. But we need to give thanks for those around us, our spouses, our children, our relatives, our friends and others who help us in some way. I once received a letter from a woman who began by telling me how fortunate she was to have a kind, 
considerate husband. She then used four pages to list all of his faults. How many marriages and other relationships grow cold and are eventually shattered because of the sin of ingratitude? Do you let others know that you appreciate them and are thankful for them? The Christians in Corinth were far from perfect, but Paul began his first letter to them by saying, I always thank God for you, 1 Corinthians 1.4. When a group of believers, whom Paul had not met, came out to greet him as he approached Rome, we read that at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Thank God for those who touch your life. Thank God in the midst of trials and even persecution. We draw back from difficulties, yet no one, none of us, is exempt from some kind of trouble. In many parts of the world, it is dangerous even to be a Christian because of persecution. And yet, in the midst of those trials, we can thank God because we know that he has promised to be with us and that he will help us. We know that he can use times of suffering to draw us closer to himself. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. James 1, 2-3 When the prophet Daniel learned that evil men were plotting against him to destroy him, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Daniel 6, 10. The Bible commands, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Paul declared, you will even be able to thank God in the midst of pain and distress because you are privileged to share the lot of those who are living in the light. Colossians 1.12. I don't know what trials you may be facing right now, but God does, and he loves you and is with you by his Holy Spirit. Cultivate a spirit of thankfulness, even in the midst of trials and heresies. Thank God, especially for his salvation in Jesus Christ. God has given us the greatest gift of all, his Son, who died on the cross and rose again so that we can know him personally and spend eternity with him in heaven. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, Second Corinthians 9.15. The Bible tells us that we are separated from God because we have sinned, but God loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And he wants to be a part of his family. I mean, he wants us to be a part of his family forever. He loves us so much that he sent his only son into the world to die as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. All we need to do is reach out in faith and accept Christ as our Savior and Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 Have you opened your heart to Jesus Christ? If not, turn to him with a simple prayer of repentance and faith, and thank him for what he has done for you. And if you do know Christ, how long has it been since you thank God for your salvation? We should not let a day go by without thanking God for his mercy and his grace to us in Jesus Christ. Thank God for his continued presence and power in your life. When it comes to Christ, it is not the end, but the beginning of a whole new life. He is with us, and he wants to help us follow him and his word. In ourselves, we do not have the strength that we need 
to live the way God wants us to live. But when we turn to him, we discover that it is God who works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. Philippians 2.13 Jesus promised his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Matthew 28.18 and 20 In many countries, a special day is set aside each year for Thanksgiving. But for the Christian, every day can be a day of Thanksgiving, as we are always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.20 God's purposes for the world in the death of Jesus are unfathomable, writes John Piper in his latest book, The Passion of Jesus Christ. 50 Reasons Why He Came to Die. He adds, infinitely more important than who killed Jesus is the question, why did God achieve for sinners like us in sending his son to die? How vital is it that we grasp and share the sovereignly designed purposes behind the passion of Jesus Christ? Here are seven of them. One, to achieve his own resurrection from the dead. The death of Christ did not merely precede his resurrection. It was the price that obtained it. The Bible says he was raised not just after the bloodshedding, but by it. The wrath of God was satisfied with the suffering and death of Jesus. The holy curse against sin was fully absorbed. The price of forgiveness was totally paid. The righteousness of God was completely vindicated. All that was left to accomplish was the public declaration of God's endorsement. This he gave by raising Jesus from the dead. When the Bible says, If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Corinthians fifteen seventeen. The point is not that the resurrection is the price paid for our sins. The point is that the resurrection proves that the death of Jesus is an all-sufficient price. Number two to show his love for us. The death of Christ is not only the demonstration of God's love, it is also the supreme expression of Christ's own love for all who receive it as their treasure. The sufferings and death of Christ have to do with me personally. It is my sin that cuts me off from God, not sin in general. I am lost and perishing. All I can do is plead for mercy. Then I see Christ suffering and dying. For who? Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And John 15.13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And Matthew 20.28 20, says, The Son of Man came not to, to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I ask, am I among the many? Can I be one of his friends? May I belong to the church? And I hear the answer. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1, 12. My heart is swayed and I embrace the beauty and bounty of Christ as my treasure. And there flows into my heart this great reality that the love of Christ is for me. Number three. In order to cancel the legal demands of the law against us. 
What a folly to think that our good deeds may one day outweigh our bad deeds. First, it is not true. Even our good deeds are defective because we don't honor God in the same way that we do them. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Without Christ's exalting faith, our deeds are significantly nothing but rebellion. Second, it is simply not the way God saves us if we are saved from the consequences of our bad deeds. It will not be because they are weighed against our good deeds. There is no salvation by balancing records. There is only salvation by canceling records. The record of our bad deeds, including our defective good deeds, along with the just penalties that each deserves, must be blotted out, not balanced. This is what Christ suffered and died to accomplish. He endured my damnation. He is my only hope, and faith in him is my only way to God. Number four, to provide the basis for our justification and to complete the obedience that becomes our righteousness. To be justified in a courtroom is not the same as being forgiven. Being forgiven implies that I am guilty and my crime is not counted. Being justified implies that I have been tried and found innocent. The verdict of justification does not make a person just. It declares a person just. The moral change we undergo when we trust Christ is not justification. The Bible usually calls that sanctification, the process of becoming good. Justification is a declaration that happens in a moment, a verdict, just, righteous. In the courtroom of God, we have not kept the law. Therefore, justification, in ordinary terms, is hopeless. Yet, amazingly, because of Christ, the Bible says God justifies the ungodly who trust in his grace. Romans 4, 5. Christ shed his blood to cancel the guilt of our crime. We now have been justified by his blood. Romans 5, 9. But canceling our sins is not the same as declaring us righteous. Christ also imputes his righteousness to me. His claim before God is this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Philippians 3.9 Christ fulfilled all righteousness perfectly, and then that righteousness was reckoned to be mine. When I trusted in him, Christ's death became the basis of our pardon and our protection. Number five, to obtain for us all things that are good for us. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32 I love the logic of this verse, not because I love logic, but because I have my real needs met. The two halves of Romans 8.32 have a stupendously important logical connection. The connection between the two halves is meant to make the second half absolutely certain. If God did the hardest thing of all, namely give up his own son to suffering and death, then it is certain that he will do the comparatively easy thing, namely, giving us all things with him. God's total commitment to give us all things is more sure than the sacrifice of his son. But what does give us all things mean? He will give us all things that are good for us, all things that we really need in order to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8.29 All things we need in order to attain everlasting joy. Quote, in any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I
can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.12-13 Notice all things includes hungering and needing. God will meet every real need, including the ability to rejoice in suffering when many felt needs do not go met. The suffering and death of Christ guarantee that God will give us all things that we need to do His will and give Him glory and to attain everlasting joy. Number six, to bring us to God. What is the ultimate good in the good news? God Himself. Salvation is not good news if it only saves from hell and not for God. Forgiveness is not good news if it only gives relief from guilt and doesn't open the way to God. Justification is not good news if it only makes us legally acceptable to God but doesn't bring fellowship with God. Redemption is not good news if it only liberates us from bondage but doesn't bring us to God. Adoption is not good news if it only puts us in the Father's family, but not in his arms. There is no sure evidence that we have a new heart just because we want to escape hell. It doesn't take a new heart to want the psychological relief of forgiveness or the removal of God's wrath or the inheritance of God's word. The evidence that we have been changed is that we want these things because they bring us to the enjoyment of God. This is the greatest thing Christ died for. Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18 We were made to experience full and lasting happiness from seeing and savoring the glory of God. Number seven, to give us eternal life. In our happiest times, we do not want to die. The wish for death rises only when our suffering seems unbearable. What we really want in those times is not death, but relief. We would love for the good times to come again, and we would like the pain to go away. We would like to have our loved one back from the grave. The longing of the human heart is to live and to be happy. God made us that way. He has put eternity into man's heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11 We are created in God's image. And God loves life and lives forever. We were made to live forever, and we will. The opposite of eternal life is not annihilation, it is hell. Jesus spoke of it more than anybody, and he made plain that rejecting the eternal life he offered would result in obliteration. But in the misery of God's wrath, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God remains on him. John 3:36. And it remains forever. Jesus said, These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteousness into eternal life. Matthew 25:46. All that is good, all that will bring true and lasting happiness, will be preserved and purified and intensified. We will be changed so that we are capable of dimensions of happiness that were inconceivable to us in this life. Quote, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, God has prepared for those who love him. Unquote. 1 Corinthians 2.9 For this Christ suffered and died. Why would we not embrace him as our treasure and live? John MacArthur summed up the attitude prevalent in Galatia. He declared, 
There are only two types of religion in the world, one of divine accomplishment and that of human achievement. Christianity stands alone as the religion of divine accomplishment. I prefer to define it as a relationship rather than a religion. Our salvation was provided by the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ through faith in his atoning work on the cross. It is wholly an act of grace, freely given to humanity. All other religions in the world rest in human accomplishment. I liked what Christopher Barnfield wrote in his Thankful for the Cross. He said, The humility in the cross, found in Galatians 6.14, says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Paul reveals that in himself there is no reason for boasting. There was absolutely no goodness within him. I'm sure he remembered the man he used to be. He was a man who once sought to hinder the church and the work of God. And it was the Lord who brought him out of the bondage of sin and placed him into the family of God. He was simply the recipient of God's loving favor. His life had been used of God in a mighty way since that day on the Damascus Road. But it was God who had made him the man he was. Paul recognized, apart from the Lord, he would not have been able to accomplish any of the things he had. It was the Lord who gave him the ability to preach the gospel, to endure hardships, and preach the word, and reach the world. Likewise, I have nothing to glory in and of myself. I am just a fallen man in need of salvation. I am who I am, and my artistic talents are gift from him. My intention is to use it to glorify God and share his gospel message. The identity in the cross, our identity. And in Paul's day, there were many who identified themselves as rejecting the cross and the sacrifice of Christ. They took pride in their stubbornness to cling to a preconceived idea of who the Savior of the Jews should be. They completely missed that it was the cross that provided the means for salvation. It is the cross that men need to see. It is the preaching of the cross that men need to hear. It is the power of the cross that men need to feel. It says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek and Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 2.2 For I determine not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, if you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? Ask Jesus to dwell inside of you and for you to dwell in God. Doing so removes doubt, fear, and pain, and provides the faith needed to endure every trial and strength to, to sacrifice whatever you are called to, as Jesus did, for the kingdom of God. Go and share the light of Christ today. If you're not a Christian yet, I suggest you consider accepting the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, contemplating what Jesus did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts in the Bible and consider asking God to refine your soul and heal your heart. Ask Jesus to walk with you and fill you with his love and joy today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to 
What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view this image discussed, which the most recent being the burning, along with my other verspirations, then check out Rob Holton Spires on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise through the Cross products, hear other Cross podcasts, then log on to roberholt.com. That is R O B. E-H-O-L-T dot com.